0: We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom.
3: I just don't fathom it.
0: The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the
4: world. Oh, yeah, across the world on the Internet at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find links to the... Audio-only stream, uh, you'll find links to the podcasts available on iTunes, Google Play, CastBox, Stitcher, and of course Spotify, and you'll find links to our social media sites where we simulcast the radio show every morning on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. Good morning, and welcome to the program. It is The Michael Duke Show, and we are also broadcasting live, of course, <clears throat> across the state of Alaska on this your favorite radio station and or fm translator hello my friends and good morning how are you uh it's monday did you have a good weekend was it was it recuperative did you feel do you feel great about it do you are you are you ready just to <laughs> or are you laying in bed staring at the ceiling wondering why why you're listening to this guy so early in the morning ready to go I know I know it's one of those things but it is Monday and uh, the snow is melting and I think I think spring has finally sprung I think it is finally sprung and we're ready to go I mean I hate to say anything at this point I hate I mean I'm I'm thinking like potentially if I say anything there might be snow later this afternoon you know what I mean I'm just not just not I'm not excited about it, but that's okay. Uh, Yeah. Rain last night, rain up in the interior. I got to say I'm I'm happy. I'm happy. Half my yard is uncovered and maybe just maybe we'll start seeing some greening up uh, around the uh, around the uh, uh, around the uh, state of Alaska. It is May Day. uh, First of May. And we're ready to dive into it. It's that start of the, I mean, I used to think of May as the start of the summer season. You know what I mean? I mean, it was just like, oh, I'm just ready. And now, of course, uh, well, you just never know. Uh, I guess this is the global warming, global cooling, global warming and cooling, whatever it is. Climate change, that's what they call it, because they can't decide if it's warming or cooling. Whichever fits the narrative better, that's why they just started calling it climate change. Uh it's good. It's uh it's all good. Um so anyway, today is Monday and we have got um we got a great guest coming up here in just a few minutes. We're actually gonna be talking with uh <clears throat> Emma Camp, who is an assistant editor over at Reason Magazine. And she is uh uh she is uh quite uh she's I really I like what she writes over at Reason. She does a bunch of stuff um, over there, uh, but talks a lot about um, college and education and things like this. And so, although it's not Montalbano Monday where we normally, you know, we get a chance to talk to Sarah Montalbano about uh, statewide educational issues, Emma is coming on. She put out a piece here. Uh, I guess it was last week. And uh, it was so it was so good. Uh, I've never interviewed Emma before, uh, but I have followed her work uh, and really enjoyed a lot of the things that she writes about. Uh, But she wrote a piece and did a it was a video piece over at Reason Magazine. And the title of it was fewer people are going to college. And here's why that's a good thing, which is so antithetical to what the narrative is in um, well, pretty much everywhere these days. Um, but it lines up with what I've been talking about for quite a while, which is uh, <clears throat> uh, which is uh, that you know college is not a necessity for success in America. Um, not only do we have a whole ton of people who have become, you know, multi gazillionaires uh, just because they innovated and they were entrepreneurs and they did some certain, uh, you know, did did some different things. But we're actually seeing that. Uh, um, but we're actually seeing uh, some indications that uh, that you know it's just not the end all and be all that many people have been told over the course of uh, over the course of years so we're going to talk about that with Emma Camp here in just a few moments and get her take a hot take on it and uh, be discussing that um, there's some headlines uh, from around the state. Uh, I don't know exactly um, what's kind of what's going on uh, in some areas. We've got uh, we've got some opportunities for public testimony today. We're going to talk about that. This is where the this is where the steam really starts to pick up. We are officially 17 days away from the official end of this legislative session. And this is where things kind of get hot and heavy um, throughout, the, uh, throughout the legislature as they try and squeeze in as much as they can near the end. Um, we're also got some—Al uh, Gross is back in the news. I mean, Al, Al Gross. Is, I mean, I don't know why, but he's back in the news. There's also a new initiative afoot to try and get more Alaskans connected to the Internet. Which, I mean, I have a solution for this, but, uh, you know, some people are definitely not going to uh, like it. The Senate has passed uh, a new energy bill, which we're going to, it's a renewable energy program. We're going to talk about that. Um, and, uh, oh, here it is. is—the uh, Apparently, uh, the Senate has gone ahead and moved their defined benefits expansion legislation, which had been stuck in labor and commerce, and it, uh, it. Suzanne Downing is saying this is all due to the fact that, for some reason, uh, the state director of Americans for Prosperity, Bernadette Wilson, was let go by the organization with n- apparently no explanation. Um, I guess we'll start there this morning. Wilson has uh, been... Um, working hard to try and prevent the Defined Benefits Program from moving anywhere. Um, And she, in fact, had, I guess, about 30 people down in Juneau uh, here uh, last month trying to uh, kill the legislation and talk up some of the other priorities that uh, are going on, uh, you know, the Americans for Prosperity were uh, working on and found to be important. Uh, On the other side of the coin, you had the AFL-CIO who were fighting to restore the Defined Benefits Program, which cost us a lot of money uh, in the long run. SB-88, which was the bill that was stuck in labor and commerce, has 11 co-sponsors, but uh, uh, Wilson and AFP and all the volunteers were a force to be reckoned with, apparently. Uh, Again, no one knows why suddenly Americans for Prosperity decided to part ways with Wilson. According to insiders, and this is being reported by Suzanne Downing over at Must Read. According to insiders, someone got to the group's leadership. I don't know what. How would you get to the group's leadership in a uh, overtly conservative organization? I I just don't know. I mean, it seems like there's seems like that there's some smoke and mirrors here and some innuendo that somehow. You know, somebody was twirling their mustache in the back, and they said that Bernadette Wilson's got to go. I I don't I don't know why. Uh, SB eighty eight is going to go to Senate Finance now, which is the last stop before being scheduled for a vote on the floor. Interestingly enough, we haven't really seen any of the uh, monetary components of this. Uh, I mean, we've been assured by many of the proponents that this will not only this this could save this could make money. I mean, they haven't said that quite yet, but that's what they're saying. Although we know from historicals and for, in fact, the folks at Reason Magazine had two people testify in front of the uh, in front of the Senate about this, where they pointed out that every defined benefits program <laughs> known to man is more costly and has a lot of downsides, um, and you know we not like we didn't know that to begin with now it's unlikely that the uh, that the bill is going to go anywhere once it hits the house the house is not uh, so far shown any favor for it and quite honestly they've got no time they've just got no time to uh, get through this Um, of course the proponents of the bill say it will help the recruitment and retention of state employees and teachers but uh, this is just going to be costly. Alaska's previous Defined Benefits Retirements program was polished back in 2006. And we still, I don't know where and got this number. She says the state still has over a billion in owed payments on that Defined Benefits plan 17 years later. Unless that's just the accruement of the plan, because we have still have an unfunded liability of over $6 billion. It's not just what we owed to the plan <clears throat> for payments. Um, there is, it's because when they killed it in 2006, it had a 13, almost a $13 billion unfunded liability. Um, they, uh, 13, billion. so they have whittled it down over 17 years down to just under $7 billion in unfunded liability. And now they want to add more to it. So I don't know. Uh, Senator Rob Myers is in the chat room and he says, according to some of my colleagues, they were going to move the defined benefits bill two weeks ago. They didn't because legal was taking too long to put together the committee substitute. Well, again, so this might be coincident more than uh, it's coincidence for those of you who don't know. It might just be coincidence. uh, The fact that Bernadette Wilson got the axe at the same time that's going. I mean, you know. Who knows? Who knows? I don't think it's a big conspiracy personally, but um, I'm I'm not. Uh, you know, again, I, I guess I don't have a big fancy. I don't have a big fancy website with a bunch of uh, listeners or readers uh, every day uh, to be able to do it. I think that that's much ado about nothing. But uh, interesting that they did move it out. Again, still no fiscal note on any of that stuff, which uh, concerns me. For a plan that purportedly is going to, I mean, who is it, Jesse Keel and, um, uh, I mean, somebody else was like, oh, yeah, this will save us money in the long run. This will save us money in the – how on God's green earth do you think that this is going to save you money? We couldn't get it right the first time, and now we're still paying for that, and you want to add to that hot mess right now. Um, I think that that – i think that that's problematic to say the least uh but the good news is it's uh <clears throat> it's not going to uh it's not gonna go anywhere this year maybe just maybe um somebody can uh, kill it on the on the other side it's i just this is one of the two things that they really wanted to get past this and the uh and the uh kids. Head uh, per head, per student, BSA, there you go, BSA, base student allocation. All right, well, we're getting ready to go. We're gonna be talking with Emma Camp from Reason Magazine. She's gonna be joining us in a few minutes. I'm uh, looking forward to it. Again, her latest piece, which I have linked in the chat room, fewer people are going to college. And here's why that's a good thing the time and money spent on college can often be used more productively she's going to talk with us about that defend that position and uh i'm looking forward to seeing what she has to say that's all directly ahead emma camp from reason magazine up next the michael luke show common sense liberty-based free thinking radio Okay, we're in the commercial break right now, getting ready to uh, spin things up uh, with our guest, uh, Emma Camp from Reason Magazine. I see that she is floating quietly in the green room, ready to uh, ready to jump in, and she's all good. She's all good. She's got it going on. We're going to check in with her here in just one second. First, let me spin through the comments real quick to see what, what fresh hell shall this wisp... Jo- Jerica, what is going on here? What fresh hell shall this wing bring upon us? I don't know. That's a negative attitude to have. It'll always be a used hell. It'll never be, never be a fresh hell. There's nothing new under the sun. Come on. Um, I can see my lawn. Yes, finally, I can too. Uh, it's a two-foot circle of grass. Um, all right, I'm just going through it real quick. Um. Um, floors, blah, 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 blah. Good Lord. Um, here we going. Uh, yeah, no, I believe I have, I cannot, I cannot find a connection between Bernadette Wilson from Americans for Prosperity getting booted and the passage of the bill. I just think that that, I just think it's coincidental. Uh, I think it's much ado about nothing, but we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that maybe an hour or two here this morning. Um, all right, look. I'm done with that. I don't want to make Emma wait any longer than she possibly has to. Let's go over here to the uh, go over here to the screen, and we will uh, bring her on board and say, "Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you this morning?"
1: I'm doing great. How are you?
4: You know, it's uh, just another beautiful day in paradise. Uh, it's a blistery 38 degrees here, and uh, I can actually see some grass coming through on my lawn, so I'm feeling pretty good about it. So. Um, I appreciate it. We've had a we've had a rough winter, uh, you know. As uh, as uh, one of the hobbits said, "How about second winter or third winter or fourth? We just can't get away from the damn thing." Um, well, I appreciate you coming on board, and thank you so much. Um, I have been following your work over at Reason uh, for quite a while, and enjoying uh, enjoying almost everything that you write. But this piece really spoke to me because. I'll be honest with you. I've been saying a lot of these things for a long time. Uh, Now, I are a high school graduate with one semester of college, and that was all it took for me to go, wait a second. This just doesn't seem like this is going to fulfill all my dreams and do all the things that I wanted to do. Uh, And so I went on to be fairly successful in, uh, in my chosen field. Uh, But I've seen so many kids just get tripped up by mom and dad going, you won't be successful if you don't go to college and you don't do. And yet you hold up different, you know, examples of, you know, Bill Gates. And I mean, all these other guys that, you know, are multi gazillionaires who many of whom didn't ever finish college before they became successful may have gone back later. But, you know, it's just an interesting thing. So I love your take on it and I love how you went through this and and, uh, I'd like to break it down and. And kind of go over that with you. So, uh, if that's okay with you,
1: yeah, that sounds great.
4: Great, great. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your. We got about a minute and a half here. Give me the give me the sixty second synopsis on Emma Camp coming to Reason Magazine and how that's been. Have you and this is something you were were you aiming at this or what was going on?
1: Um, Becoming a journalist was definitely kind of a right place, right time thing for me. I actually thought I was going to go into a philosophy PhD program. So writing about college, I was going to go on maximum college. Um, But sort of one thing led to another. And I realized that like as much as I love Plato, I I actually don't want to spend another eight years reading philosophy. Um, And that the kind of things I was actually interested in writing about You could do much better as an opinion journalist. So I applied to a bunch of journalism jobs and I was very lucky and got the one at Reason. Um, And I've had a great time there so far. You know, I've been able to write about the things that interest me, write longer pieces, write shorter pieces, um, and do stuff like this. Right. So it's 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 been a great time.
4: It's very cool. I too love Play-Doh, the edible kind. So it's fine. Don't worry about don't worry about that. It'll be No, but I can see that you've got an education, you got a a philosophy degree and an English degree. Now what am I going to do with these great degrees? You know, I guess you go back to teaching or the, that's part we're going to talk about that here uh, this morning as we go through. All right, ding means we got to get jump back into it. Folks, uh, please like and share the show, like and follow the show page, do all that stuff. Go out and read Emma's column at Reason Magazine. Uh, Well, you could save it till after the show because there's a video that you'll want to watch, too. So but we'll be back to that. Hold the line. Let's get ready to go. The Michael Duke show. Common sense. Liberty based. Free thinking radio. Let's uh, let's do it right now. Here we go.
0: Public enema. Number one. Oh, wait. Sorry. Uh, Enemy. Public enemy. Number one, which uh, makes more sense. On
4: the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. Pain in the what? That just that doesn't seem right. Doesn't seem right at all. Welcome back. It is the Michael Duke show. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Jumping into it with our guest for today, Emma Camp uh, from Reason Magazine. Emma has previously worked at The New York Times, Real Clear Policy and Persuasion. And uh, she was awarded the Exceptional Student Award at the Heterox. Uh Heterodox Academy Open Inquiry Awards, which is fancy. I can't even spell heter heterodox. You know, and I can't even say it. Uh, Emma is uh, over there at Reason Magazine, and she's written a lot. Specifically, she she writes quite a bit about colleges uh, because she just came out of college here not too long ago, so she's uh, closest to the subject. And her most recent piece is called "Fewer People Are Going to College," and here wh- here's why that's a good thing, uh, which again, shocking for many people to hear, but I mean, it's what I've been preaching for the last 15 years because I believe that that is absolutely true. Emma Camp joins us right now. Good morning, Emma.
1: Morning. Thanks for having me. Well,
4: thanks for coming on board and joining us. It's just you, me, and several thousand Alaskans wondering why it's still so cold outside, but uh, you're going to to hear keep them warm uh, here this morning on this. Uh, Emma, let's talk about uh, overall. I mean, we all know that with COVID and everything else, there was a decline, you know, in schools, both K-12, post-secondary, the whole deal, which I guess was to be expected. Um, But uh, uh, surprisingly, the enrollment in college uh, was not, uh, it was not started by COVID. I mean, this has been going on for quite a while that there's been a decline in what's happening in enrollment.
1: Yeah, there's been a decline really since the Great Recession started in 2008. It, It kind of leveled off a bit. And then obviously with COVID, there was a huge drop. That was very much to be expected. A lot of people took gap years, for example. But then even after that first main year of COVID, it kept dropping. It seems like it's maybe starting to recover, um, but we still had this massive continuing drop. And there's a lot of reasons to think that's a good thing. Um, one of the main ones for me is that if you look at just using one metric, uh, the ACT, which is one of the main standardized tests that people take to go to college, 75 percent of ACT test takers were not prepared for college, basically, <laughs> on these metrics that the people who run the ACT use. Right. Um, and that's really it's probably more American high school students than that are prepared because. Some states require the ACT for graduation, some in a state like Maine, only 6% of students take it. And those are the really serious students. Right. So even though 75% of ACT test takers are prepared for college, almost two thirds of American high school students do enroll in college. And so you have a situation where we actually have a really high college dropout rate because so many kids are told you must go to college, you must go to college, and because a lot of schools um, are worried about closing they accept everybody even if they're just completely academically incapable of succeeding in a four-year degree and so you have these people who take on massive amounts of debt and then end up dropping out and having nothing to show for it and they would have just been better off never going to college in the first place
4: well it's astonishing because for me those numbers right there are a total in i know we're talking about college But are a total indictment of our K through 12 system we have here. Absolutely. I mean, it's astonishing. Three quarters are not college ready. Uh, Anecdotally, we interviewed somebody who worked for the University of Alaska uh, here. uh, This is on the program probably 12, 15 years ago, and the guy didn't he didn't want me to use his name, voice changer, the whole deal. He's like, um, he goes, yeah, he goes, I help craft. This this uh, remedial math courses, because he goes, most of the kids coming out of the local high schools can't take a 100 level math course because they didn't get. I mean, this was 50 12 years ago, 15 years ago. I mean, it it's insane. We are spending more. And in the state of Alaska specifically, we're spending more than almost any other state on a per student basis. And they can't even get to 100 level math. Or in your case, they're not ready for the rest of college. Something's fundamentally broken here.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, we go on and on about the problems of the k twelve education system. Another good metric is that two-thirds of fourth graders can barely read. And if you can't read, you can't really do pretty much anything else. Um, and so we're really failing a lot of kids. um and then it's setting them them up for these failures later in life. But, um, you know, I also think the idea that everyone should go to college is bad. Um, that's just not how like academic ability works, but it's also just not how, other countries do this kind of thing, like right. I have family members that live in the Netherlands and way fewer kids actually go to university there. There's a lot more vocational programs and that's better for so many people. Um, and a lot of jobs just simply shouldn't require a college degree. I don't think journalism should require a college degree. As much as I enjoy, you know, toiling away, reading Plato and Shakespeare for my English and philosophy degrees, I use them not at all. Uh, in my current job. And I would have been just as good going right out of high school and learning on the job, which is what I'm doing now, learning like how to take quotes, how to do interviews, how to write a story, all of those things you don't need a college degree to do. Um, And the fact that there are so many jobs that absolutely require a college degree and sometimes, you know, require some kind of journalism master's degree. It's just encouraging people to go into obscene amounts of debt to kind of artificially lower the supply.
4: Right. And this is a generational thing. Uh, I mean, because uh, I mean, I'm 53. Uh, I know I look older, but I'm 53. Uh, but I remember my 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 mom and my dad, and my dad especially was like, "Oh, you gotta go to college. You Gotta go to college. If you you won't be successful if you don't go to college," you know, kind of thing. And that's been going on. That mantra has been pumped. Uh, I mean, from the from the late 50s, it started, you know, to where that was what it is, and it has created this behemoth where you have uh, this this cyclic feedback loop between you know, colleges and states and monies and federal government monies and everything else pumping back into it. And it's created this kind of obscene, bloated thing that just is looking for bodies. That's why they don't refuse anybody, even if you fail the, the uh, ACT, is because they need that money. It's become this money monster more than anything else.
1: Oh, absolutely. And it is going to become a, a worse problem because there was a big birth rate drop after the Great Recession and so, right around, you know, in about four years from now, when you get the kids who were born in 2008, there's already been a birth rate decline. So, colleges have fewer students every year, a lot of times, um, especially smaller liberal arts colleges or smaller state colleges, like schools like Harvard are not having this problem. Um, but around 2008, there's gonna be this huge drop off, and we're already having a lot of small colleges close. It's gonna get even worse, and these schools are going to be even more desperate for bodies. And it's going to be even worse for the students who really should be told, like, you know, maybe you should maybe you should do a trade and have like a good middle-class life without a bunch of debt. And instead they're shunted into a school where they have to do all of these remedial classes and, you know, rack up all this debt. For which something that which costs money.
4: Yeah. Remedial day. classes, which cost money before you even actually get to the meat and potatoes of the, of the right. actual exactly. course. Right? So you,
1: you have these kids that are, you know, sometimes, if they actually did graduate, it would take them seven or eight years. And, and that's just not tenable for almost all people.
4: Right, right. Well, and what's interesting is, again, this is the this is the lie that we've been told. Um, and, and I have to laugh because you have a philosophy and an English degree uh, and you're working in a field that really doesn't require either one of those. I saw a statistic 20 years ago, 20 years ago, that said 80 percent of the people who graduate from college never get a job in their field of study. 80 percent. That was a stat from 20 years ago. And I don't know what it is today, but that one always stuck with me. And I said when I heard that stat, I said, well, that teaches me one thing that really they didn't care uh, what your degree was. They just wanted to see if you could hang with it. For it was about it was, and you talk about that. It's almost like it's a virtue signaling uh, signaling thing now, that they just want to see that you can actually stick with it, get up, go to class, do what you're told, do all those kind of things. That's really what college has become in in America uh, today. It seems like.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's an economist named Brian Kaplan who calls college a signaling mechanism, and it's exactly that. It's. Can you do your homework? Can you show up on time? And like all of those are good traits to have and they do reflect well on somebody. But the fact that we're asking people to go through all of these years of extra education and possibly tens of thousands of dollars in debt to prove it when, you know, maybe you should just give them a job. And if they can't show up on time and can't do their work, you can fire them.
4: Shocking, shocking. Maybe you could just, you know, uh, do that. Um, I've seen, of course. I have a lot of friends who are in the trades, and one of them uh, made a comment, and there's actually been – several articles uh recently i think the wall street journal had one and i think the new york times had one about the the trades coming up you know trades and and uh vocational ed and things like that and one of the guys one of my friends said he goes look i looked around me i saw all the people who were five eight ten years ahead of me and i saw the ones who were a hundred thousand dollars in debt for college and i saw the ones that joined an apprenticeship program right out of high school." And they were making what these college graduates are going to be making five years from now, but without the hundred thousand dollar debt. That sounded like a pretty good deal to me. And that's what I I decided to do it. And I think that's that's first of all, we're we are woefully lacking in employees and labor for trades. uh, Right. I mean, that's been a big problem in America for the last decade, at least. And I think you're right. I think we've 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 screwed up because we've painted everybody into the picture of you got to have a college degree. All these other guys are never going to make any money. And, but Mike Rowe and others have shown that, man, if you're in the trades and you are vested and you've made, you know, you've got eight, nine years under your belt, you're making money that most college graduates would salivate at.
1: Right. Absolutely. And it's, it's really a failure again of the K-12 system where they have a bunch of kids who are clearly just not going to, if, even, if it, even if they are capable of it, just aren't interested in long-term academic study, but going, no, 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 they must go to college, they'll have a terrible life, they don't go to college, we need to squish them into this college box, when instead they could be saying, hey, do you want to do an apprenticeship? You get to work with your hands, right? You get to build things, which a lot of kids are really interested in and would really jump at the opportunity to do, um, and have been sort of put, tossing those opportunities aside, and it's only failed the students that they were meant to help
4: yeah so look fewer college uh, fewer students are going to college now um and that's just a fact and as you said as the as the as the uh, the lack of birth uh, the birth rate drop continues from the 2008 recession uh, that's going to just exacerbate the situation Um, And so these colleges are in a panic because they, you know, they want the state money, they want the federal money, they want to keep their doors open, but there's just going to not be enough bodies going around. Is that going to help with the competition or what, you know, what do you see uh, in this happening right now?
1: I mean, what I see happening is that a lot of schools, particularly small liberal arts colleges, will close. Some of them might try to stay open in various ways, probably just by bringing their acceptance rate as low as they can or as high as they can possibly bring it which will not be good for their long-term ex- uh, graduation rate. Um, and and I hope, I'm hope i hoping that people are going to start saying, especially as college gets more and more expensive and there's more and more of a conversation about debt and you're seeing in polling numbers, there are more and more people saying that the amount of debt that you go into, go into to get a college degree isn't worth it. Like now that we're seeing that sea change and people are going, oh, no, 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 no. Going $100,000 in debt just isn't worth it. I think maybe we'll start to see an increase in the trades. Um, I think also something that's important to note is that we have an aging population. And so there are a lot of jobs you can get with a community college degree, like a a two year nursing degree, for example, that are in huge demand because a lot of these traits you'll say like, oh, well, it's only men that are interested in going into them. Well, it's mostly women that are in these two-year nursing degrees and they're really helpful because a lot of these jobs are in nursing homes. Right, More and more people are going to be in nursing homes. And so there are lots of either community college level or, you know, apprenticeship level jobs that are really in high demand and that a lot of different kinds of people could be interested in. And so I'm really hoping that high schools will start to pushing that and that parents will also start to be pushing that and realizing that like, you know what, I don't want to pay for this. My kid doesn't want to do it. And actually you can have the good middle-class life that I want for my child without them getting a four-year
4: degree. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's been an advent over the last uh, 10 years or so of of what some people are calling like rocket courses or things like that where – Uh, I remember the story of a young lady who came out of uh, high school. She was interested in, uh, you know, computer coding and stuff, and she could have gone to college and did all this, but somebody turned her on to a – it was like a 10- or 12-week program uh, for for, uh, uh, coding and and programming. And it cost $6,000, but she did that one course, and when she was done after 12 months, they placed her in a job making like $60,000 a year. And uh, within another 18 months, she was making upwards of almost $100,000 a year. And that people, oh, well, that's just a fluke. No, there are programs out there like that that are compressed programs, immersion programs that do only one thing. They don't have all the ancillary stuff. They teach you the one thing. It's very short. It's two, three, four months. And then you go right to work. And maybe maybe that's part of the problem is that we're so wooed by this whole four-year college experience, quote-unquote, that we forget that this is really about just training people to have a career and all they need to know is the basics of that. Why do we need all the ancillary stuff?
1: Right. I mean, honestly, I think one of the best things that could be done for trade school is for somebody to create a trade school that has like a college experience, right? That has dorms that you live in. Maybe it's only a little bit more expensive, but like you learn to weld, but then you also get to go to frat parties. Yeah. That honestly might convince so many people, because there really is this like romanticization (laughs) of having like, Two to four years to just kind of mess around and delay adulthood, that a lot of people are interested in. It's like, well, you know, perhaps there's a way of giving you this while also giving you a job that you will actually want.
4: Right. (laughs) Just give me. <laughs> Who knows
1: if will actually make that?
4: Just give me your quarter of a million dollars, which you can pay back over the rest of your life, and we'll give you that college experience. <laughs> we'll give, it right? we'll, you. Give, we'll yeah. give you that college experience. Emma Camp is our guest. Uh, she's uh, from Reason Magazine. We're going to continue with her here in just a moment. We're coming up on the break. It's uh, got to pay some of those bills. You know, we are capitalists after all. So we're going to be back. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show continues with Emma Camp from Reason Magazine. Back with more right after this. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook. Facebook.com slash MichaelDukeShow slash live. If you want to join the chat room right now, you're welcome to. We'll return in just a moment.
0: Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. (laughs) Ha, nice beard. The Michael Duke Show.
4: Okay, Emma Camp, uh, Reason Magazine, our guest this morning. If you want to, uh, if you would like to ask her a question in the chat room, now's the time to do it. Uh, We got Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch going on right now. Uh, my daughter, uh, this is what Willie says. My daughter was a four-year honor roll at Mount Enchcombe, which is a, uh, Mount Enchcombe is a, is a, uh, uh, boarding school here in Alaska to pay a couple thousand for remedial college courses. I'm going, what the hell? She quit and is looking at trade schools. Well, good. I mean, but that's the thing. It's not, it's not unusual. For students to have to have some kind of remedial look just to get into some of the basic college courses, which again, uh, as I said earlier, an indictment on the whole k twelve system. I mean, something is just you mentioned the European system, uh, Netherlands. and of course, i've I've talked a little bit about the German system uh, in Germany, which I, I'm not I'm not a hundred percent on board with because it it does slice out some kids early on, but they're deciding in grade school, And in junior high school, whether or not these kids are being tracked for college or not. Right. I mean, they're saying you don't have the aptitude, which I think, again, aptitude can come late. But they they are at least not saying that everyone should go to university. Everyone should go to college. There are places for people to do the trades, uh, you know, uh, labor, uh, you know, vote whatever. That's what's going on. We should be looking at that, don't you think?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um Absolutely. I think tracking in school, while there are some downsides, like you mentioned, the upsides really outbalance them to me, Um, really being able to give kids the specific kind of instruction that they need. So my understanding, this is really just based on talking to my family members that live there, is that in the Netherlands, I'm sure it's similar to Germany, um, pretty early on, they put kids in different kinds of schools. So you have, you know, four or five different levels, some are very vocational, some are kind of average Some are sort of like you go to a technical university after graduation which is like where you would do like a nursing degree or like a graphic design degree like sort of the practical degrees and then at the very top where you're like learning latin and greek in high school is where you go if you want to do like a philosophy degree or a physics degree kind of like the high theoretical stuff But that's a very small percentage of the kids but at the end of it everybody know like is where they want to be and is looking towards a path where they can have a job that's actually useful for them Um, And I think the putting most of the kids in sort of a vocational track, I think, makes really a lot of sense. Um, And it also helps in terms of spending. Like there are lots and lots of reasons why college is cheaper for the consumer in Europe. And we don't need to go into all of them. But like one of them is that they have fewer students as a a proportion of the population. Like the government has to pay for fewer kids. Right. Uh, And I think that's really important to consider.
4: Well, and the other thing, of course, is government paying for the education overall. I mean, you know, when government got involved and started, uh, uh, you know, propping up a lot of these schools and doing that stuff. I mean, the question is, when did it, you know, and government getting involved, of course, has created all kinds of other problems. We're talking about the student debt crisis and everything else. Um, I mean, they created this demand. They created it and they've instituted it. And they're a big part of the problem at this point.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, when you look at when college, the price of college started outpacing um, inflation and it started getting really insanely expensive, basically tracks exactly with when kind of an unlimited number of federal student loans became available to anybody. And so colleges realize they could charge whatever they want because you can get an infinite number of loans, right? So if The University of Chicago wants to charge $70,000 as the sticker price. I mean, in in fairness, almost no one ends up actually paying that. But if a college wanted to do that and somebody wanted to take out that many loans, they could. Um, And because it was this government-run system, there was no sense of looking at the likelihood of paying it back. So I could take out $200,000 in loans to get like a dance therapy degree right which almost certainly i will not be able to pay back that amount of money with my dance therapy degree but if i was actually going through a bank a bank would say like no we don't trust you to pay this back so we're not going to give it to you but if i wanted to take out forty thousand dollars to get an engineering degree at you know a state university a bank would probably say yeah that's a great idea right Right. you will almost certainly be able to pay that back to us because you're getting a practical degree that pays a lot of money
4: right i mean look Um, i'm not anti-college i mean i think college you need college courses for you know engineers doctors things that are very specific you know physics philosophy you know some of those other things teachers there are some things that need to be taught but you know the fact that everybody goes through it just like an assembly line uh, we're all we're not all widgets. Right. We're not all the same. And some of us just don't have. A, like I said, I went to one semester of college and went, well, this is not for me. And I left. I decided I didn't need. And boy, it still took me five or six years to pay off that one semester of college. Right. I mean, because I got a loan to do it. I mean, that's that's insane uh, to to make it happen. But this is where we're at today. This is the mantra that they keep pushing is. Get a good job, go to college, you'll be successful. If you don't go to college, you don't get to go to the successful step, which is patently untrue. We know that that's patently um, untrue. All right. Um, We're just getting ready to rejoin the radio, so let's do that. Emma Camp is our guest. Uh, She is an assistant editor over at Reason Magazine, and we're going to continue with her here in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show Common sense, liberty-based, free thinking radio. Like and share, like and follow. Let's um let's get going. Here we go. Continuing now with Emma Camp, who is an assistant editor over at Reason Magazine. And, uh, you know, she's just recently uh, graduated uh, from college here a year or so ago. And uh, so she's a little bit closer to this than I am. I was just talking about my my experience at college was a single semester of me doing the classes and doing everything else and going, well, I just don't think this is for me. I, I, I decided to jump out on my own and. Uh, and I'm I'm happy with it. I've been very successful, but that completely flies in the face of what the mantra was and has been for years. What would your suggestion be as somebody who just now, you know, just recently walked out the door with uh, your with the, the pigskin on the wall and everything else? What what do you you know or sheepskin? I'm sorry, pigskin is football, sheepskin is college. Um, what you know? What is your what is your suggestion here? Because as you say, fewer people are going to college, and that's a good thing. So what does Emma Camp say, you know, needs to happen if you were queen for a day, what what would you make work here in America?
1: Well, I think for one I would invest way more in trade school programs and I would have a lot of tracking. So I if if I were queen for a day, I would separate American high school in kind of maybe at least three different layers. One is like very much a vocational track. One is sort of a flexible track where you can maybe halfway through high school drop down or drop up a level if you so desire and you you know pass a certain number of tests. That sort of is putting kids in vocational training that maybe would allow them to go to college later. Maybe it's focused on medicine or maybe like an office job. And the top track is the this is where you go to college, and maybe this is where you're more likely to do something like engineering or philosophy or literature, especially the more theoretical stuff. And kids would sort of test into that after middle school. You you see some places has this, have systems like this that have magnet schools. I went to a magnet middle and high school. Uh, it was a public school but it was focused on fine arts instruction. That was very helpful for me, being in an environment where all the other kids wanted to be there, right? My teachers weren't focused on behavioral disruptions. They could sort of teach us all at the same level because we all were at a higher academic level. That I think is really useful for a lot of kids uh, because you don't have one teacher trying to figure out how to teach a billion different ways. Um, So I would do something like that and then invest way more in vocational instruction. And really, I would probably roll back a lot of federal student loan funding and make it a situation where if you wanna take out a lot of money to go to college, you kind of have to prove to a bank that it's gonna be a good idea. And that saves you like, and the government, but I think most importantly, it saves you a lot of time, right? It's like, you know, if if, if it is in fact a bad idea for you to take out $200,000 to get a dance therapy degree, um it's probably a good idea that a bank tells you like no we won't fund this right right, right. um so that's probably what i would i would do a lot of I, I could go on and on about the various policy proposals i would make i think so much of what's happening in our school systems particularly public schools is really tragic right two-thirds of fourth graders can't read and a lot of that's because we're not teaching them how to read. right right a lot of teachers Don't actually know how to teach kids how to learn because they're not taught that in education schools. They're taught a lot of fluff.
4: Right. Well, and what you're talking about here is, I mean, really to do the things that that uh, Queen Emma would like to do requires a complete revamping of the K-12 system at this point. I mean, because, you know, we're 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 not putting an emphasis on the things that need to be emphasized. And, uh, you know, and and these kids are falling through the crack, like you said, with the behavioral stuff and all these other kind of things. I mean, that's why I mean, we homeschooled. I have five kids. We homeschooled all five of our kids. Uh, none of them have gone to college to become rocket scientists or anything else, but they can all. I mean, that was the first thing we did. What happened to instilling the love of learning into a child? right? That's kind of seems, in my mind, seems to have been lost. That's what we tried to do. And my kids were reading it. I mean, all my kids were reading at college level. In middle school and high, which is un, which is unheard of for the most part, but that's because we tried to develop that love of learning in them that is i mean that's that, that it seems we've lost some of those minor fundamentals
1: right I mean, I think a lot of why this happens is that there's this idea that age is what determines academic ability and that we should be putting all kids of a similar age in the same learning environment and what ends up happening is you have you know about one third of kids who are lost what's happening is going way over their heads they're going to feel stupid they're going to hate school they're going to lose their love of learning because they have they have no idea what's going on with the way the teacher is teaching and then another third of kids who are bored out of their minds who are maybe more likely to act out because of that who are not paying attention because it's way too it's way too the level is way too low for them and they're way more advanced and it's like what if instead we separated those kids and so the kids who are a little more behind get individualized instruction at their level and so they like school because they don't feel stupid right and then the kids who are way above actually get someone that's like okay You're in middle school and you're reading at college here read the classics right and so those kids are actually interested in learning because what's being presented to them is intellectually stimulating right um and i think this idea that like no all six-year-olds should be taught the same things at the same time this sort of like factory way of looking at education right where also parents have no choice right like that's one of the the weird i could say a lot about school choice i think uh the idea that like people with means should get to pick Where they get to send their kids and people without means have to go to the neighborhood schools, no matter how bad they are for their kids' uh, needs, is ridiculous. And so I think if we really expanded school choice, it would also. Both force schools to be better because they'll lose students unless they're attractive, but also it gives parents a sense of agency over their children's education.
4: No, I mean, it's the competition, right? I mean, Corey DeAngelis has been on the program and we've talked a lot about backpack funding and things like that, where the money should follow the student instead of the other way around. Because now you've got not only we've talked about the conglomerates of, of higher education, you know. But you know, glomming money from the government and everything else. We've got schools doing exactly the same thing. There should be a competition. There should be competitiveness of ideas, of teaching styles, and everything else. And that should all be part and parcel of it. And if you gave, if you made the funding follow the student instead of just going straight to the school, that would give, you know, parents the choice and it would make sure that these schools are competing for those dollars in the best way possible. And that would eliminate a lot of the deadwood, the overhead, you know, all this other kind of stuff that we've seen explode in the last uh, 10, 15 years. And that would be, I mean, that would be a great way to get started.
1: Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I think there really is kind of this, let's say it's partially a myth that the reason why poor performing schools do so badly is because they're underfunded. And that's not actually true. There are lots of schools that have humongous per pupil spending. I'm, I'm in D.C., right here in D.C. Terrible outcomes for our public education, but spend so much money. Um, and then you have other places that spend way less per pupil and get better results. Another good example is uh, Utah. I think it's Utah and Wyoming. It might be Wyoming and Colorado. I don't want to quote off top of my head and say the wrong thing, but there are two very similar Western states in the United States. One spends about $10,000 more per pupil. Um, And despite this, both of those states basically have the same results. The kids test about just as well, you know, and one state has a slightly higher poverty rate, but they're very similar demographically. It's like, okay, so if funding is used in the right way, it can create better results. But a lot of times funding just goes to waste. It just goes to sometimes cosmetic changes to school, sometimes it just goes to teacher salaries, and it doesn't really improve the quality of the outcomes that you're getting.
4: So Emma Camp, uh, Reason Magazine, our guest, uh, if you were speaking to, uh, we're cutting down to the last couple minutes here, if you were speaking to middle schoolers and high schoolers now and taking a look at your article here about fewer people going to college, and that's a good thing, what would you say to them? what What would you say to those kids? As they are getting into their formative years here, the end of their school career, the last five or six years, what would you say to them in regards to college and what they need to be looking at, et cetera?
1: I mean, I think that you should decide to go to college consciously. You shouldn't just do it because your parents want you to do it. You shouldn't just do it because you feel like you need to do it. You shouldn't just do it because, The idea of going into kind of the independent adult world is scary. It should be something that you want to do and you have a very specific reason why you want to do it. Um, And so I think that like, yeah, there are lots of reasons why going to college can be a good idea, especially if you're going for a degree that is very likely to be a return on the investment that you make, right? If you really, really love learning and you have a very specific plan, that's great. If you aren't sure, if you're sort of waffling between, should I go to college? Should I not go to college? You probably shouldn't go to college. Um, and you should probably try to find a an apprenticeship in a job that's interesting to you, or you should just get a job and sort of figure things out, right? Maybe you're not mature enough. Maybe you need to work you know, behind the counter at a Starbucks for four years and then realize this is monotony. I don't want to do this. I need to go to a trade program that I really like or no, I need to go to, you know, engineering school or whatever. Right. Um, But I think that this idea, like if you're not sure, you should take the like right. thousands of dollars in debt plunge is exactly the opposite of what we should well
4: you could go work at starbucks right next to the guy who's got the four-year philosophy degree and figure right, out what's, exactly exactly like, 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 you, don't, yeah. you don't want to
1: get the english degree and that will also help you right you can yeah. see other people like what happened to your peers <laughs> that went to college and right. where are they ending up now right?
4: exactly emma camp reason magazine you could find her at reason.com emma thank you so much for coming on board this morning uh appreciate you being here Hold the line. We'll be right back. We'll be to you for just a second here. Folks, we're out of time. We got more coming up. Hour two dead ahead The Michael Duke Show. I mean, this is so ironic. Yes, go work at a Starbucks or at a, a Safeway or something, and work right next to the guy that's got the four-year degree in underwater basket weaving or whatever, and uh, you know, which he's so proud of, but still paying on. And he's got he's 40 and got a ponytail, you know, or whatever. I mean, you know, come on, seriously, that's what that's what it's that's that's what we're facing today, right? I mean, how many degrees are there out there, Emma? I mean you know, this study, that study, gender, fluidity, underwater, basket weaving, and how to count hairs on frogs or something. I mean, there's so many different things and it's just, they've expanded those programs because, well, we got to give them something to learn, right? Is it really useful and applicable? Probably not.
1: Right. Yeah. It's really, I think, not a good use of time for a lot of people. If you're, you know, if, if your parents are footing the bill and you're not going to go out of this with any debt and you want to get a degree in underwater basket weaving, I guess knock yourself out. Right. Um, but the thing is, most people are footing the bill themselves. Um, and that's really where I think the trouble starts for so many people.
4: Yeah. Well, like we said, college is not there's nothing wrong with college. It's just the question of, is it the solution for everything. And I think that's the I mean, here you, you have a degree in philosophy and a degree in English, but you're not using either one of them. I suppose. well, I guess English, arguably, you could say that was for your writing, but it's I,
1: I'm not doing much like Shakespeare analysis. Yeah, opinion, exactly. Honestly. You don't
4: you don't do a whole lot of Othello in your uh, in your pieces that yeah. you write out there. Uh, final thoughts for you, Emma, I'll give you the last two minutes here, uh, just in case there's something we didn't cover or any points on the article that I didn't hit on um i'd love to hear uh love to hear final thoughts here
1: yeah i think really what i would hit on is that this idea that how you set your kid up for the best possible life because like all parents want good things for their kids they want their kids to have an economically stable life where they're happy like in order to to make your kid happy and to have and for them to have a successful good life they have to go to college they have to have a four-year degree such a pernicious lie and it sets so many people up to be just crippled with debt later in life and so i think for the change to be there are many paths to success or many paths to economic stability and for some people it is going to be college but for a lot of people it's going to be a trade school degree or something else Um, and also the idea that like not everybody needs to go to college and that not being able to finish college not wanting to finish college doesn't mean that you aren't a worthwhile person um, and I think the right. messaging on this has just been completely messed up. Right. But it does seem like people are starting to change course, especially as public opinion on is college worth it with how much it costs starting to change.
4: Yeah, no. And again, I think in, in the reality is still poking its head in on, you know, trades and the lack of, you know, the demand for or for those kind of skilled jobs and things like that. Uh, and kind of the reality of, uh, you know, p- people putting out these lists to say, here are the top 10 you know, pay scales for these kind of professions, none of which require a college degree. And people are shocked because, again, they've been told the big lie of you're only going to succeed if you go to college. And they're seeing people in the trades making triple, you know, you know $100,000, $150,000 a year. And they're like, wow, um, I didn't even know you could do that. I, I had no idea. And so we do need to educate kids early on that these are, if they like working with their hands, if they like building, if they like the creative side of things, then there are other options rather than just going and sitting in a classroom for four years, being doing, told, do what you're told. And uh, you'll get out with a degree and a load of debt and you'll probably never use it again. That's that's the challenge there. Yes, yeah.
1: I, I I couldn't agree more.
4: Yeah. Emma, I really appreciate you coming on board. And uh, I, I, I uh, would love to talk to you again in the future if I can <clears throat> reserve myself to text you occasionally on these kind of topics. I'd love to have you back on the program. Yeah, of course. I I love to be back. Yeah, we got to, I've got a whole stable now between you and JD Tucci and Eric Baim and and uh, and Jacob Sullivan. We will have we'll have a reason week one of these weeks we'll yeah. have a collecting just
1: collecting your I'm, basket
4: of reasoners. I'm co- I'm collecting all the reason people to come talk to me. I love I love having conversations with you guys cuz I appreciate what you do. I appreciate all the writing and what you guys put out there. Uh, reason is my go to place every morning where I go glom on to all my ideas that uh, I can agree or agree to disagree with. That's what I like to see. Thank you, Emma. Thank you for coming on board. And I hope you have a great day.
1: Thanks for having me. All
4: right. Thank you so much. Uh, Emma camp reason magazine, our guest here this morning on the Michael Duke show. Um, All right. Oh, let's go back up here. Um, uh, does Emma have kids? No, she doesn't have kids. Um, uh, some of the best times, this is Harold, some of the best times was in college. Great experience, still lots of great friends. Well, I, yeah, but unless, you know, every student going, every kid going to college just for the experience and making friends, that's a pretty expensive proposition if it's not something that's really right for you. College is not bad. It's just not for everyone. That's the thing. It's not bad. It's, uh, you know, it is just not for everyone. And it shouldn't be the solution to, <clears throat> you know, the the answer to every problem, supposedly, uh, because we know it's not. Layla makes an interesting comment about trade. She goes, the downside to going to the trades is how really hard it is on your body. I knew far too many people who are 20 to 15 years from retirement. Uh, they worked at construction workers or nurses and they got hurt of the job and can't work in that trade anymore because their minds were never trained to be learners. They can't shift to another career that uses their brain. And that's part, I think that's part of what she was talking about, you know, finding that love of learning, training people, uh, you know, where they're at. Yeah. There are people that get hurt in, in, uh, in their jobs that can't perform it anymore, but overall the trades are still under being underserved and we need to be, you know, we need to be. Uh, cognizant of that, and the fact that many of these kids would probably love to do that—be in a direct on-the-job apprenticeship program rather than collecting, you know, a hundred, hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand dollars in debt for a degree that they are not interested in and will never, you know, will never uh, um, do anything with. Okay. <clears throat> uh, okay. Um going through here. Uh my father is 57 and still working construction through the winters and mining every summer. Yeah, it happens. Um people ask me if I support the university. I tell them it helped make me the conservative legislator I am today. Cisra. Uh <clears throat> Uh, no, college is not bad. That's not, uh, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, I went into telecom says Richard second generation, lower 48 with no college took a buyout two years ago after 30 years left with a pension was making 70 K a year. So glad I didn't waste a nickel on college. Yes. I mean, that's exactly it. I mean, many of these kids can go do that. Uh, welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke show. Common sense, Liberty based free thinking radio hi how are you it's hour two of the big radio show we got talking with emma camp there and i ran right over the top of the hour don't tell anybody it's hour two and we're ready to go you guys ready to dive into this we were just debating um you know uh about uh about college there there is a place absolutely we need to have colleges and universities uh here in uh in, in america uh because those institutes of higher learning are definitely uh important for certain things i think i think the mistake was is that when we said everybody has to go no matter what otherwise you're not going to be successful i think that's that's the biggest challenge because that's not that's not we know it's it's not true we know it's arguably not true that that's what we need um some kids some people, again, love the trades. They love working with their hands. They love very specific, uh, you know, they, their minds work in a very specific way. Um, and we need those things. We still need people to, you know, wire our houses, weld our pipes, you know, work on our cars, do all those kind of things. Those are all things that make society, um, you know, move forward. And it's not uh, – it's not uh, – uh, you know, it's not a, you're not less because you're an electrician versus a guy working at Seven Eleven who's got a college degree. You know, I don't think it less of either one of them. One of them decided to do one thing. One of them decided to do something else. That doesn't mean that they're any less. But in the in the minds of many folks, that is, you know, they would look down on the guy who comes in and fixes your <clears throat> fixes your plumbing, or look down on the guy who comes in and. Fixes your wiring problem, whereas the guy who's got the four-year college degree, uh, I mean, oh, he's definitely going to be successful, even though he's, you know, serving a latte or something at Starbucks. I mean, that's – or maybe he's using that degree for something like an accounting thing. I mean, you know, there is nothing wrong with college. What is wrong is telling everyone that they absolutely have to be part of it. And I think that's, that's the biggest challenge here. Um, all right. Look, let's uh, let's jump into this. Phone lines are open today. I'm going to open up the phone lines and we can talk about this or any of the other topics that we've got going on in hour two. Um, I'd love to hear some point counterpoint. Uh, Layla was just saying in the chat room earlier um, that uh, uh, that, you know, that the trades are great. But she said the day the downside is how hard it is on your body. She said she knows many people who are 10 to 15 years from retirement that worked as construction workers or nurses and they got hurt on the job and can't work at that trade anymore because their minds were never trained to be learners. They can't shift to another career that uses their brain. And yes, I'm sure that there are those instances out there. Uh, That's why I said early on, I mean, this is going to require, I think, a fundamental shift in the K through 12 segment as well, because you've got to you've got to help these kids develop a love of learning, right? You've, you've got to help develop them into critical thinkers and giving them that love of learning. So if something does happen to them, that they can, you know, creatively find a way out of it. You know, if you're a nurse uh, that gets hurt on the job or whatever, maybe you can do medical coding. You know, if you're a construction worker maybe you can do some consulting or some design or something like that some of those things that <clears throat> may not require the four year college degree uh but they are in your they are in your uh uh in your bailiwick because you you know you you have All uh,
3: participants or you mu-
4: you've decided uh to to jump to jump into a different vein of it or you've been forced to at least there's something that you're familiar with all right, let's uh, let's jump over to the phones and see what you have to say this morning. Nine zero seven four three three thirty one fifty. The Michael Duke Show. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hello,
2: Michael. This is Jason calling from uh, Fairbanks, Alaska.
4: Good morning, Jason. What's on your mind, sir?
2: Well, this is right up my alley because uh, a lot of the a lot of the things that uh, Emma spoke of, I lived through. I'm a native of Miami, Florida, but we had, we had owned a second house in northern Georgia, right near the uh, North Carolina border. I, I finished high school there and went to college there too. And they did do that. They divided the classes up into A class, B class, and C class, depending on you know the, the academic tracking of the students. And it did work. I mean, there were some classes that were common to all of them, you know, like like uh, English literature, uh, some of the uh, the basic math courses but other than that uh, we were given courses that were specific to those each of those categories and also when I went to college um, a college in that area called Truett McConnell about 20 miles away from Hiawassee near where we lived, they also offered college courses to high school students at night and I took advantage of those and that caused uh, a positive social pressure in that my parents, since they were doing the driving, uh, there was a definite pressure at home, you better do good on these courses since we're paying to drive you <laughs> back and forth between home and Truett McConnell. And I did do quite well, in them. it was college geometry, uh, college um and uh, analytic Anal- geometry, uh, college algebra, and college uh, computer science, and um, that college they made some you know some extra money on the side doing that. But I learned a lot doing that too, and that's something colleges could do also. And then later, when after my father died, we went we moved back to Miami, and I I finished college at Miami-Dade Community College, and they did exactly the same thing, where they would academically track the students, and those who were behind, they had remedial courses, but they were quick you know they didn't teach them as if they were going to you know go through a four year or a six year degree to become a um, a master of mathematics or something like that and in 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 other words it works what 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 she was talking about and and this was only in in the 1980s i graduated high school in 1984 and graduated from miami dade in 1989 I mean, right
4: no i mean i think i think uh, i think you're 100% right and i think again looking at where the students are uh, you know, in uh, mentally in their minds, you know, how good a student they are for certain subjects, what they find, mm-hmm. what they're passionate about. I think all those things need to be taken into account. And if uh, they're better served going to an art course or to a trade course or to VoTech or something else or to college, that those tracks should be laid out by the time you're in, you know, early high school, you should kind of know, you know, you, you know, you as a parent should kind of know which track your child is going to be taking, and uh, and help them develop that, and again, develop the love of learning along the way.
2: Yes, and also it's uh, it's it's not just a it's just something that parents need to get involved with because there's so many homes where there, are almost there are few if any books at all whereas my parents they made sure our house was full of books you know for all six of us kids and um, they never played this game was well daddy knows everything if I had a question for my mother or father and they didn't know the answer they said well I don't know the answer but I know where we can find out And we'd look it up in the encyclopedia and if it wasn't in there I'd say well let's go over to Graplin Heights uh, library and we'd look it up in the you know the the encyclopedias or other books there right And, and in other words, they paid attention to our questions. They didn't just say, oh, I don't know, don't worry about it, you know, Right that kind of thing. And so, I mean, a lot of it is on the parents, too, because a lot of parents have this, not, I, don't, I don't know if it's even a, a majority, but a lot of them have this idea that it's the teacher's job to teach the kids. And. And that is true to an extent, but it has to start in the home. That's where the love of learning begins.
4: Right. No, and I agree. And I think that's what we've talked about on the program here. You know, part of the problem with K through 12 is parents in some ways, some parents have abdicated their responsibility to teach their own children and to develop that love of learning in them. And they're just like, they're saying, oh, it's their job. I don't have to worry about it. Uh, That's what they get paid for. And the answer is no. That's just, everything is just supplementary. You should be teaching your kids. And giving them that love of learning, and uh, and if you could teach your kids if of only one thing, just to read well, so that they could go and discover the things yes. that they're interested in, I think that would be a uh, I think that would be a boon for sure. Um, yes, all right, I, I did, and I did learn to read well before I went. To, one, one just one more thing too, which is connected directly
2: to this, and that is, I was totally against this at the time, but having had to do it, I'm now glad I did it. Part of the college uh, uh, curriculum I took, we all had to take the equivalent, you know, in, in addition to what we were taking at Miami-Dade was the equivalent of a one-year liberal arts degree. It was, you know, kind of needed in among the other courses. And at the time, I was totally against it saying, well, I want to be an engineer. What, what do I have to take this stuff for? But you know what, I'm glad now I took it because it has a cultural, a positive cultural effect because because kids were, including myself, were learning how this society came to be, you know, through the you know the ancient times, the Renaissance, and modern times, and and although it you know it may not have an seem to have an immediate uh, positive effect over time, it does, and I think a lot of the political problems we're having today with the wokeism, I think, would not have happened had that been taught more uh, to the kids who are uh, what, what my age was then today.
4: Yeah, no, <laughs> I I agree. All right, Jason. Well, thank you so much for your call. I appreciate you ringing us up this morning and talking with us. Thanks for calling in. Let's go over to the next call here. Uh, Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from?
3: Um, Good morning, Michael. This is Carlene.
4: Uh, Good morning, Carlene. What's on your mind?
3: Um, Emma's talk with us, and I took notes on Thursday, last Thursday, the 27th, on the Tony Perkins show, Congressman Mary Miller was being interviewed, and she mentioned that Randy Weingarten, the president of the Teachers Union, the AFT, um, opposes standardized testing. So I'm thinking that this would affect bank going to the bank and getting college loans or student loans. And um, also, to add to Jason's story, my father divorced us when I was three, and my brothers were two and one, and my mother worked three jobs to support us, no help from anybody and uh, the state. nobody. she just worked. but she perhaps she did it on credit, a small bookcase with the book of knowledge, friends and people, science and health, children's classics, I, medical books, and then one great big family bible gold with the picture of Jesus on the front my mother wasn't there i taught my little brothers how to read but um those really affected us um i'm sure she bought that on credit but um i'm not an educated person but i've continued to learn my whole life
4: right well and that's the love of that's learning a, right my, i mean that's the love of learning that's i mean my parents had there were lots of bookshelves of Time Life books and different things of histories and and uh, we never had an encyclopedia. Uh, well, maybe we did. We had part of an encyclopedia collection, but I mean, I remember I remember just poring over those books uh, about uh, you know Americana, about Greek history, World War II, all these different books that were out there. And that was, I mean, I'd love to dive down into those things and and take a look at obviously, well before the internet. Uh, just to learn different stuff. I just loved the stories of what was going on uh, and how things came to be. And that's part of that love of learning. And, and you know, instilling, you couldn't do, I bought my kids the classics, um, like all the classic novels. Uh, I think Barnes and Nobles had a series that was called The Classics. There was like 25 or 26 books and I bought them all uh, so kids could read, you know, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and and uh, and Walden and just all these different books from different you know different points of view, different uh, different uh, uh, topics and styles. I think that that is important for those kids to learn it. And like I said, all of my kids ended up reading at a very high level early on because it was something that they just loved to do. And and I'm happy I'm happy to see it. I'm happy to see that uh, to happy to hear that you know you got kind of a similar education. Um, because uh, you know your mom was willing to go out on a limb and and put those books in there.
3: I still have dreams of that four hundred foot house over on Mission Road. That there's an artesian well in the middle of the room. <laughs> you know, it, it was it was just amazing, crazy stuff. Um, well, think
4: uh, I'm Carleen, think, book, I'm so, sorry, thank go ahead. You. Thank you, uh, thank you, Carlene. I appreciate you coming on board this morning. All right, we're up against the break. Uh, let's not let's not bonk this one up, shall we? Appreciate you guys coming in. We got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show continues. We got some more headlines, and we'll open up the phones. Uh, keep the phones open, I guess I should say. So, what about you? Did you go to college? Um, did you go to college, and are you using your degree? Did you encourage your kids to go to college? Did you insist that they go to college? And what's the success rate there? Again, nothing wrong with college. I think what's wrong is when you absolutely force everyone into that mold when they may or may not be ready for it. Uh, What are your thoughts? 907 433 3150, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
0: We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these uh, entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com.
4: Okay. Uh, Wow embarrassed myself I done run right over the top of the hour coming back into this I this is such a fascinating topic to me though it really is because again I I uh, and and no 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 shade to my parents at all but I mean I remember them uh, my dad especially my dad's a graduate from the UAF uh, and he said you know that he just that was what had to happen. That what, you know, you need a college degree, you need to do those things. And, uh, as much as I, uh, you know, as much as I respected and admired my dad, I got there and I was like, that's just, (laughs) it's just not for me. It's just not, it was just not for me. And, um, you know, I loved, I love if I was not doing radio <clears throat> and uh, and doing radio and doing advertising and stuff like that Which I love because of the creative aspect of it If I was not doing that, I'd probably be doing something with my hands Because I love to tinker, I love to weld I, I, I love how things work, right? I mean, I still remember my dad was mad at me one time Because <clears throat> he had a tape deck that wouldn't work It was a really high-end tape deck and it wasn't working And so I took it all apart <laughs> Oh, somebody was unhappy. I took it all apart. Now I put it all back together. Still didn't work, but I was trying to figure out how to fix it and I couldn't fix it. But I was able to put it all back together, but I remember he was so mad because I took that thing apart. Um, but I'm always I've been fascinated about how things work, how, you know, what what makes them go. Um, and I just I just love that, you know. Um anyway, uh, I, I just find this is a I find this is a very interesting thing. Uh, Tawny says the military is how I obtained my degree. Well, that's great. I mean, that's one of the benefits, obviously, of the military. The GI Bill was an amazing thing for many, many folks. Um, um, career tracking. Le- Leela says career tracking in school makes the problem of not being a learner worse, not better. I mean I could see that I could see that you know because then it sh- tends to shuffle the the slower learners into the bottom half of the of the pool what how can we fix that um how can we fix that leela how can we instill a love of learning or you know get that learning going for people who are not as quick to pick things up how are we able to fix that I don't know um uh, nothing requires a four-year degree other than people's stipulations and expectations. Yeah, I agree. I agree totally. Um, and you're starting to see that now where many places that required a four-year degree, any four-year degree. It wasn't even like a four-year degree. I love that. Um, you know, you'd see the job description or whatever, and the requirements are a four-year degree. It didn't stipulate what your 4 It could have been, again, underwater basket weaving. Or blended gender studies or whatever it was that you wanted to, you know, put. They just wanted to see that you could stick with something. But you're seeing more and more jobs where they're dropping that four-year degree requirement because, you know, they can make it happen. Um, <laughs> Frank says, this is Frank's, I think, comment back to Layla. Uh, Frank says... Carpal tunnel, lower back issues, blood circulation, eye issues—all real hazards of office occupations as well. Yeah, I mean, there's there's problems in any of those situations for sure. Um. Um. Yeah. All right. Let me let me go over to the phones. There's one line on hold. Let's get the name and uh, where they're calling from, and then we'll jump back onto the radio. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Yeah. Good
5: morning, Willie. Out here in Hall.
4: Oh hey, Willie, hold the line here. We'll be right, uh, we'll be right back to you, okay? You're gonna be first up in the queue. We'll talk with you here in just a hot second. Uh, Willie and Quinnahawk. Um going through here. <clears throat> good morning, good morning, good morning. Um The German, I wanna say I'm gonna start this one to come back to here in a little bit. We're gonna continue. Um uh the Michael Luke show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Melody says, I have a sixth-grader, avid reader, who read at the first, no, must be the 11th grade level. The 11th grade level. Yeah, that's what I love. Teach them to read while they're young, and they will fill their minds with goodness. Here we go. Okay, continuing now, this Monday edition of The Michael Duke Show. I hope you guys are ready for a great week. It's going to be a great week. I guarantee it. I mean, I'm just, in my mind, I'm wishing a great week for you. We're talking about education. We just talked with Emma Camp for Magazine in Hour 1 about how college enrollment is down and why that's a good thing. And basically what she's saying is the split out to Trade schools and voc-ed schools and things like that are definitely more helpful to a lot of people than going and getting a four-year degree and going into tremendous debt for something that you'll never use. Willie is listening to us out in Quintahawk, uh on the interwebs, and he has called us up this morning. And uh, let's see what he has to say. Good morning, Willie. What's on your mind? Oh, good morning. A
5: couple of little item, items here. I'm getting tons of feedback so if I stutter or stop that's what it is. I'm trying to talk through it. Um, First off, I, I really enjoyed listening to Emma and what I see out here in the bush is they build a $30 million school in the middle of nowhere in a village for the kids and there's no home ec, there's no shop class. And I really believe it's because those types of teachers figured out that there's a lot more money to be made by actually going hands-on and twisting wrenches, or going to work cooking somewhere. What there is, hanging around for shop classes. So they they the least the least practical place to prepare a kid for nothing but college is out here in the bush because these kids aren't tuned into it. They're tuned into subsistence, living fixing their own snow goes and whatever. But anyway, what I'm my main interest here today is we're hearing all about sales taxes in the legislature. And once the governor starts pushing a sales tax, I know that they're actually pretty real for a change. And I'm going, don't give me a 1%. Don't give me a 2%. Give me a 3% and sales tax because in Bethel, Dillingham, they already have 6%ers. You might as well collect enough sales tax at one time that you can completely cover the deficit that they have going. The Senate originally started out with a $900 million deficit of just add ons. They wanted to add the house is at over 600 million right now. Um, the governor's 1% I read was a positive gain of maybe 460 million. And that was before they had to hire people. And and it was just, it was an, It's not a net gain, that's what I'm trying to say. So put enough money there that you can actually cover all of the proposed spendings. But don't talk to me about a sales tax or any other tax until you can tie it in with a guaranteed PFD that's constitutional. I need to see what I'm getting. In other words, like Lyman Hoffman, so famous for saying the PFD is is first priority and then you tax to the level of government spend. And that's exactly right, Lyman. One time I agree with him, you know. Um, Let's get our spending in line here. And let's also make sure that when you start telling somebody in Bethel or Dillingham that now you're paying 9% tax, for everything that you're buying, for whatever they don't exempt, you need to have a guarantee that they're getting something back out of this. Now, the Senate wants Lyman on, he, uh, never follows through. He talks out of both sides of his mouth. So, what's he doing in the Senate right now, along with all of his other buddies? They're pushing this 2575. Um, PFD plan. Well, twenty-five percent. Let's just say it's four thousand dollars, which is kind of what they're calculating the PFD to be. That's a one thousand dollar PFD. You want to give me one thousand dollar PFD? That's going to be statutory, which they can turn right around next year and change. No, that ain't cutting it because a thousand bucks is not even going to cover the three percent that you're adding on out here. Gas gas in the villages right now runs anywhere from Seven bucks to
3: twelve
4: bucks a gallon, right? And right. That's
5: a people
4: buy a lot. Yeah. No. You know? No. I and I agree with you, yeah. Willie. I mean, I think that uh, you know the if if you're gonna if you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. But before I see a tax, I definitely want to see if nothing else, I want to see a spending cap. I want to see a limit on what you can spend to begin with, and I definitely would like to see a constitutionalizing. Of the PFD, whether that's the full PFD, which is what I really want, or even a, a 50-50 PFD, if that's what it takes. But this idea that they could continually move the needle and they could just slide their slider around and say, well, in the 75, oh, 60, oh, 80, oh, 90, we could do whatever we want. I think that's part of the problem. Now, you're saying you're okay with the sales tax, but only if one of those other things happens, Right.
5: Actually, what I've been writing to all the legislators, and the reason I'm talking right now is because I know they're transcribing all this in Juneau. <laughs> you know, pretty handy. I'm getting to a whole lot of legislators right now, besides our normal that listen to the program. But yes, I want to see what I'm asking for in in the. You see it on my posts on Facebook. If anybody sees it post in a lot of places. I'm asking for a spending cap with teeth they actually have to follow, and I'm asking for a constitutional guarantee of some sort for the PFD. But the kicker that I want is, is, and I think that I think that hands down, if they give this to the people to vote. And they're saying, look, we're going back to the statutory PFD, which we know we have the money. They're not supposed to be appropriate in the first place. So we know we have the money. It's them that have taken it away. they're, they're the ones that don't have the money. (laughs) Um, We do because it's supposed to already come straight from the corpus to us, right? Straight bypass them. I want to see that. And if you you know that your family is going to pull a full, $4,000 Four thousand bucks a piece in your PFD. That three percent sales tax is not going to hurt you. In fact, you're going to be money ahead.
4: Right. Well. You know? Yeah. No. I mean, I, I, uh, I mean, I could see that. Again. Uh, but again, I, I, agree with you. And it's what I told Ben Carpenter and others earlier. I mean, I, if, if there was going to be a sales tax, uh, okay, great. But the first thing that needs to pass is a spending cap. Uh, first and foremost, because otherwise, if you just give them this, if you just give them the, the sales tax or any form of tax, sales tax, flat tax, whatever you want to talk about, they're just going to we're not going to see that money back in our PFD because they'll just consume it and spend it. There has to be a stopgap. There has to be a governor on the spending. Uh, and in this case, a spending cap would be one. And then the constitutionally protected PFD would be the other guaranteeing that we get that certain amount and then they'll they'll have to find you know they'll either have to trim or do whatever else they need to do to live within their means i agree with you
5: yeah and i believe that if they put a package that contains those three things guaranteed pfd constitutional pfd a spending cap and a a three percent sales tax, which actually completely covers, according to, if you go with the governor's plan there, of 460 million for 1%, um, you're looking at one and a quarter billion dollars in taxes, in sales tax revenue, with a 3%, basically, you know? Um, If they put all that together, then take it to the people. Let the people vote. Let the people tax themselves. Right. If it's not a good plan, the people will tell you no. Go back to the drawing board. Try it again. Yeah. Um, but you're exactly right. There's no amount of money that will ever. Slow them down when they want to spend. They're going to find money. They found sixteen billion dollars. That's why our CBR is down to barely over a billion dollars. Yeah. Yet the law says, the Constitution says they have to replace ten billion. When they hit the ten billion mark, they were supposed to replace the funds in the CBR. They won't even do that. Right. In fact, what Lyman Hoffman's already talking about is with the with the gained revenue, they they think they're going to make. Make millions! Here we go again. We've heard this song before. Back last year, at they're going at 73 a barrel, and anything over 73 a barrel, that oh, that's going to be savings, 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 extra money for the legislature. And yep, we can we can pay some bills next year with it. And what they can also do, according to Lyman Hoffman, is they can forward fund education with any new revenue. <laughs> right, right. There's no, no end. To-
4: yeah, there's no there's no end in sight. There is no end in sight to their, for their appetite of spending, Willie. I couldn't agree more. Hey, uh, appreciate you calling in, my friend. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being part of the show today. Uh, I appreciate that. 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Uh, we've been talking about, uh, well, Willie was just talking about sales taxes and stuff, but before that, we were talking about college And we were talking about there is a place for it, but it's not, should not be for everybody. What I used to call a lot of times on this program, the big lie, the big lie. Emily uh, in the chat room on YouTube says, unfortunately, I've been disparaged for not having a college degree. I have occupational endorsements and a certificate in my field, but no associate or bachelor's degree. And Emily, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that's happened sometimes, you know. Because, again, most people have been, you know, sold the big lie that this is the only way that you'll be successful is if you have that college degree. But I know many people who have uh, who have endorsements or certifications in their field that aren't college educated that, you know, there is no there is no uh, uh, disparagement. There is no looking down on them. Some, and some people, uh, Jeannie talks about how she uh, had her full and used her uh, college degree for 30 years. And that's great. Again, I'm not saying that college is bad. I'm saying that we really need to start looking at this and analyzing it and asking ourselves, um, is it for everyone? I told my kids, if they wanted to go to college, we'd figure out a way to pay for it. If they wanted to go to college, we'd figure something out and we'd do it. But that they weren't just going to college to find themselves. If they had a reason or something that they wanted to do, uh, you know, some career path that they wanted to take, we would find a way to do it. We'd make it happen. Um, And yet they've all chosen to do something a little bit differently. I just, I never said that they had to go. Um, And hopefully, I'm, I'm hoping that that helped them. Again, coming out four years from now, couple hundred thousand dollars in debt not not a way that you really want to start off your uh your employment career you know what i mean you don't really want to start off in the hole a couple hundred thousand bucks that's for sure all right well we are coming up on the break so let's uh, do that one final segment dead ahead and we'll see uh we'll see what you guys got to do We'll be back with more in just a moment. Phone lines are open, 907-433-3150. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
5: Regularly heard on American radio. Michael, Michael, Michael Duke Show. radio.
4: Okay, in the break, let me go back here. I start. I, <clears throat> I set aside a couple of these comments because I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to highlight them. One was the one that I just highlighted. Um, let's see. Jeannie says. Uh, the german model has a lot of depth to it vocational or academic tracks graduate high school at 16 choose two years of hospital or military service then you go to university or trade school on the government's dime no music programs no sports programs all of the extracurricular cur- cur- uh, activities are done i think da- done intramural it's a fantastic systems but their taxes are 40%. Yeah, I mean, look, there's pros and cons to all this stuff. What I'd like to do is I'd like to look at some of the, you know, I think what we need to do is look at some of the systems and pick and choose. Use the grocery store method, right? We're not going to import the German system altogether because I think, quite honestly, it it identifies those tracks way too young. They're identifying tracks in, like, grade school, right? I think a lot of kids are still growing and learning and learning how to learn, um, I don't think that you should be, you know, trying to help kids into specific tracks until they're in their teens, you know, probably in their early, uh, you know, early high school career. Um, It makes it difficult for sure Uh, to try and separate some of those things out. But like I said, I think we need to pick out the pieces from each of the different systems that works and move forward from that. That's my thought. Um, although, I mean, you could just homeschool them all, and then you wouldn't have to worry about it. Uh, Jerrica says, I have a certificate in business management and accounting. It's the highest degree in my family, and it's absolutely useless to me because the only part of it that was new to me after helping my dad run his printing company starting as his secretary at eight years old was his accounting stuff, and I decided I hated accounting and taxes, so I just hire somebody for that now. Yeah, I mean, again, how, how tough would it be to go get a four-year degree somewhere and then realize that you – I don't know how tough it would be to do four years of this. You realize you hated what you got the degree. You know, you hated doing what you got the degree in. That was, that's just crazy. Um, Tawny says, when I graduated, there was a gentleman we called a professional student. He was getting a degree in outdoor studies after eight plus years. I mean, there's people in there that, uh, there's people in there that just keep going all the time. Jerrica said, I knew someone like that. She was in her late 30s in the 90s and had been in college since she graduated from high school. A career student. You don't have to pay on your student loans if you're still a student. Is that the answer? Just remain a student the whole time? Uh, Pamela says it's because college degrees have become dog whistles for wokeism. The colleges are not teaching effective workforce development like the trades are. They are teaching social con- cultural constructs. At the tune of $100,000 a year, people are sick of it. I think there is something to that. Uh, I don't know if it's all that, but I agree that, you know, they're teaching about these social cultural constructs all the time instead of actually teaching people, you know, how to think and you know, critically think and to be, you know, in the workforce and things like that. I mean, the trade schools are, are focused on that because that's, they're trying to train the next generation of workers for what they've got going on. Not surprising. Um, Herter says, did not translate directly into career path through me, but looking back on it all, there was much benefit in stretching the mind in many ways that required the work to become literate in that most of what I, uh, most of what I enjoyed most had no end in making a living from it. I just wanted to learn and experience at least back then one could actually work and pay most of the way through. I mean, that's the thing I, you know, if all I could do all day was read and get information and learn new things to me, that would be, <clears throat> that would be amazing. I, I love I love to learn. I learn. I love to think about new things and philosophies. And, you know, I I love all that. Um, How can I make a living out of it? I don't know. I mean, I use a lot of what I read in the show, but uh, I so I suppose you could argue that I'm making a living out of it that way. How do you make a full time living out of it? That's the that's the thing there right now. Um, Okay. Um. Looking, I say, uh, I worked and paid my way through, graduated without any debt, thankfully. However, nearly all the jobs I've had since graduation are related to my field of study. And that's great, David, because that's, again, oh, aren't related. He just said aren't related to my field of study. So he's, again, proving out that axiom that I was talking about from 20 years ago, where 80 percent of the people who graduate never get a job in their field of study. That's That's tough. That's tough. Um, uh, okay. So there we go. Oh, go. When I go to see a doctor, I hope they're educated. Well, yeah, we hope so. Again, I'm not saying that there's not a place for any of those things. I'm saying it's not for everybody. That's what I'm saying. That's the difference. Um, okay. We got to go. Uh, we're going to jump back into it here. The Michael Duke show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Got one line on hold. I see you there, caller. I'll be right to you. Let's get to it. Now. Okay, let's uh, continue on, shall we? One final segment of the show today. I have still got a couple of headlines, but we're taking phone calls in the meanwhile, because I enjoy that. I enjoy talking to you. Let's go over and see what you have to say. Uh, we'll jump to here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from?
2: Uh, good morning, Michael. This is Jeff up here in the interior.
4: Morning, Jeff. What's on your mind?
5: Well, having worked in the trade, uh, worked behind some uh, design engineers, and more than one time I've scratched my head wondering, what were they thinking? So just because you got a degree doesn't <laughs> necessarily mean you have common sense.
4: Well, thats I mean, that's true. Any, ask anybody who's ever tried to change out the spark plugs on a mid-'80s Corvette. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm here. Did uh, so, I lose you? Yeah, no. I'm sorry. I'm here. I had. I muted myself for you for a second. Uh, yeah. Ask anybody who's tried to change out the spark plugs. <laughs> uh, spark plugs on a mid '80s Corvette about how engineers are, uh, you know, so practical. You got to da- damn near jack the engine out of the engine well to be able to get to the spark plugs. So I mean, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Like w- sometimes. You know, it, it it does happen. There's common sense, and then there's uh, uh, and then there's uncommon sense, right? I mean, when it comes down to it, but there's a place for that, right? I mean, engineers definitely need to go to college. They need to have the higher math. They need to have to understand all that stuff. But it's not, it shouldn't be a requirement forever. and And quite honestly, not everybody should be encouraged to go, right, Jeff?
5: Absolutely. You, you can have all the design engineers you want, but if you don't have somebody to bend the conduit, pull the wires, pour the concrete, uh, what good is it?
4: Yeah, I, I was having a conversation about two weeks ago with a friend of mine who works at a major aircraft manufacturer in Seattle. You can do the math on that one. Uh, and he said, it's just astonishing how some of these engineers are like... Uh, they were supposed to put some kind of warning sticker or something on something, and they're like, oh, it needs to just go inside here. And he's like, well, how am I supposed to get inside there? This box has already been manufactured. Well, you know, you just, uh, uh, you just, uh, uh and he said, yeah, these are the engineers. They're like, okay, you needed to put this on the inside, but you didn't tell us <laughs> that before we assembled it, you know, kind of thing. So it, it does happen. It does happen. There's the theoretical, and then there's the practical. I think many of us are more on the practical side of things. So. All right, Jeff. Well, thank you for your call. I appreciate you calling in. Have a good day. All right. Let's uh, go over here. We'll take the next call. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from?
5: I'm um, Fairbanks. Here's Charles. I wonder if it would be a crazy conspiracy to suggest uh a connection between a failure of banks in the U S and crowning some chump in England, uh, at the end of the week, or, uh, you,
4: you okay. think, you think that the crowning of Prince Charles has something to do with the, uh, has something to do with the bank failures in the U S. Okay. I guess Charles has had his say, okay. I, I don't think that there's, I mean, that was like random thought number two. Three hundred and twelve, But it's okay. It's okay. Uh, 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. Let me remind you, of course, that today's program was brought to you by your friends over there at Satellite West. You can find them at SatelliteWest.com. Uh, from Chignik to Chugiak, from uh, uh, from Mirror Lake to Metlakatla, from Menchumana to Minto, wherever you are in the state of Alaska. They can help you stay connected with uh, the technology, whether it's via text message or phone calls, uh, send an email or surf in the internet. Satellite West has got you covered, and they've got a local. They've got a bunch of local dealers that would love to help you out, including Radar Alaska down on the spit in Homer. Just one of their many dealers across the state. Uh, make sure you go check them out over there at SatelliteWest.com. We want to say thank you to them for uh, being part of the program today and, and of course, helping to bring it to you uh, each and every day. All right. Um, <clears throat> what are some of the uh, what are some of the uh, opportunities today for public testimony? What is the legislature going to be working on today? Let me lay some rundown here for you on some of the things that are going to be up again. This is where things start to get hot and heavy. We're down to the last. Just over two weeks. We're 17 days away from the end of the session. Uh, Does that mean that they're going to get out uh, and stay out? Mm, Unknown at this point, whether or not the governor will call special session. I guess a lot of it depends on what his vetoes are and everything. But let me tell you what we have coming down today. House Finance has got two bills in front of it, uh, including HB 66 and HB 28. One is the uh, about controlled substances and good time deductions uh, for, uh, I think, uh, time spent in prison. That's going to be at 1.30 today. Also, in the same hearing, there's going to be HB 28, which is access to marijuana conviction records. That's going to be the other one. I've got a couple lines on hold here. I'm going to be to you real quick, caller, so just hold the line. Uh, also today at one thirty in Senate Finance is the oil and gas production tax, the income tax bill, That is SB 114 that's going on today at 1.30. Uh, SB 84 in Senate Judiciary is moving forward. That's a bill about money, transmission, and virtual currency at 1.30. At 1.30 in Labor and Commerce, there's the SB 116 about associate and professional counselors. Uh, At 3.30 in Education is the Employment Tax for Education Facilities Bill, SB 132, And also an education in that same hearing is going to be SB 56, which is the Alaska Performance Scholarship Eligibility Bill, SB 56. So that's what's all going on today. we got more coming up tomorrow as well. As I said, now is going to be the busy time for many of these things. If you want to sound off on those, uh, you could do so. The LIO, probably your best bet on that. Let's go over to the phones and see what you have to say. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from?
5: Yeah, Jim and Fairbanks.
4: Good morning, Jim.
5: Hello. Good morning. Good morning. I just wanted yeah. to offer one thing. Uh, when you were talking about the uh, graduation of people in college and so forth and so on, uh, 20 years ago, when I we had almost 5,000 um, degrees given out every year at the university system. And um, we only were producing about uh, a little less than 1,500 jobs in the state of Alaska that required it. A degree, so it, it appeared to me at that time, and I imagine it's the same today, is that we're either educating a bunch of people to leave the state, or we are spending a lot of money and in, in a, a lot of waste in this triple university system that we have. So anyway, just offering that.
4: All right, Jim. Well, thanks for your thought. I mean, five thousand for fifteen hundred jobs—that yep. definitely seems like it's a little backwards. But uh, I'd be interested to know what the number is today. Um <clears throat> thank you Jim for your- Yeah, I would be t- I would be too. Yeah. You bet. All right. Thanks Jim, <laughs> I appreciate you calling in. 907-433-3150 over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from?
6: Uh Randy in Fairbanks. Um, morning, Randy. Hello, Michael. Uh I just heard on the radio talk again about uh you know constitutionalizing the PFP and as you know, as I've mentioned before, I'm against that. But also I think people may have the wrong impression a little bit about the PFD and cuts in the PFD because the other day on the radio, I heard someone saying to the effect that a cut in the PFD is a tax and it's similar to uh, the federal withholding tax on a person's paycheck. And I wanted to point out that it's completely different from that because when the federal government uh, withholds payments payment, Uh, withhold taxes from your paycheck, what they're doing is they're taking away your individually owned money because your paycheck is money that you have earned and belongs to you even before the company has written it out and sent it to your mailbox or whatever and uh, and then the government comes and takes a portion of that before you even get it, but it's your money individually because you created it and you earned it. Whereas in the case of the PFD, it is not and has never been, uh, in the case of money that's in the government that might be destined, some of it being destined for the PFD, none of it is individually owned. It's owned by all of us in common and uh, collectively. And uh, the only part that's individually owned is the actual money that they, that is in the check that you've got your name on. Then that becomes your individually owned money. And so it's well, cut in the PFD, the money that's cut. Was never individually owned by you; it was something government had that is collectively owned by all of us. See, and that's
4: and that's where. So, first of all, I'm the one that made that comment, and I was using it as an example of money being taken before you ever see it. Uh, I wasn't saying it was exactly like the withholding tax; I was saying the mechanism or the way it's taken is similar. But I'm going to take issue with what you're saying because, again, the PFD, the way the PFD was set up was that that was Alaskan's share of the oil wealth, the way the PFD is set up. The 50% of the five-year rolling average of the fund, that is Alaskan's money. That If you go back and read the, read the minutes and read what they're talking about, that is Alaskan's share of the money. Uh, yes, it is in one big bucket, so we all own it. But anybody that applies, that is their portion of the money. So for you to say that's just government money they should be able to do with whatever they want, That's not correct. And it is a tax. They've taken the money from you. Yes, before you've received it, that's what makes it similar to a withholding tax. But that is the people's money. I know that you don't want it to be. I know that you say that that is just all government funds and they can do with it what they want. But again, if you go back and read the minutes of the of the formation of the permanent fund and the speeches and what they talked about on the floor and what Hammond's vision was, that's what it was for. It was for Alaskans to have their fair share of the oil wealth, and it is their money. The government was never – in fact, up until 2016, 2015, 2016, it was never even an appropriation. It was just a shall transfer, right? This is money that just shall be transferred. It is the people's money. I know you you, you want to say it's not, but that's, that's not the truth. That's not how it was factored. That's not how it was put together.
6: Well, it's all our money and it all goes to the Alaska people, whether it's services and infrastructure or cash checks, but it's all got to fit within a balanced budget. That's my point.
4: Well, but you're saying that the balanced budget is going to come because you give them the money. That's your other argument. Just give them more money. They'll balance the budget. And that's not, again, that's not what the framers intended. It wasn't for money for services or anything else. Randy, I appreciate your call, but we're out of time. we got to go. The Michael Duke show common sense liberty base free thinking radio all right my friends well it was a good show today i really enjoyed emma camp coming on and uh she had some good points i really enjoyed that maybe we should do some more educational stuff working on getting some other guests in as well this week and um we'll see what we can come up with i'm working on more alaskan artists or authors it's the other thing i'm working on anyway appreciate you guys being here we will see you on tuesday that's tomorrow tomorrow morning weekly top three chris story it's all there the michael duke show common sense liberty based free thinking radio be kind love one another live well